Hello, hello, and welcome to Non-Technical, where I, your host, Alexis Gay, interview influential folks from tech, media, business, and beyond about everything except their resumes. Today on the show, I am thrilled to say we have David Gellis, author of the new book, The Man Who Broke Capitalism, and a climate reporter at the New York Times. Though he's done a lot of other super impressive, really interesting things prior to that, which admittedly, I'm not going to ask him that much about. David, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to this conversation. I know, me too. Are you ready to dive in? Let's do it. Fabulous. This episode of Non-Technical is brought to you by Bets Recruiting. Hell yeah, you heard that right. It's a summer Bets blockbuster, baby. The return of Bets Recruiting. Two bets, two furious. Tagline, this time all bets are on. I'm so happy to have Vets Recruiting back as a sponsor of Non-Technical. Not only is Vets Recruiting the only recruiting firm by recruiters for recruiters, but they've been trusted for more than a decade to build out sales, marketing, and customer success teams. More than a decade. Name one company that's been around for more than a decade. That's right, it's Vets Recruiting. In that time, Vets has partnered with thousands of tech companies, helped build 30 plus unicorns, and supported tens of thousands of people along their career trajectory. If you're hiring go-to-market talent or you are go-to-market talent, check out betsrecruiting.com slash non-technical. I bet you won't be disappointed. Bets, you can have that catchphrase if you want. That one's on the house. David is a reporter for the New York Times, where he writes about climate change and business. His latest book is The Man Who Broke Capitalism, How Jack Welch Gutted the Heartland and Crushed the Soul of Corporate America, and How to Undo His Legacy, which debuted on the New York Times bestseller list. Before joining the Times in 2013, he spent five years with the Financial Times. At the Financial Times, he covered tech, media, and M&A in San Francisco and New York. His first book, Mindful Work, How Meditation is Changing Business from the Inside Out, was published in 2015. David Gellis, welcome to Non-Technical. I'm so excited. Let's do it. I'm so excited. Oh, man, what a joy to chat with you today. You and I met very recently in real life. Yes. And now you're on the pod. I feel like I like won the lottery. Like, how do I go from like, just meeting you at a party a couple of weeks ago to now being on the pod? Should everyone yeah. be so lucky? Truly, like in terms of things that have happened in your life recently, it's like met me at a party. Huge. New York Times bestseller list. Medium. Coming on non-technical. Massive. It's been a really sweet couple months. Yeah, it's been really great for you. I'm super happy for you, and I'm glad that we met at a party. And I'm super glad that you're on the show today. I want to start by asking you this. How did you spend your last day off? My last day off? I'm pausing because the blurring of the lines between like real life and work life mm-hmm. is, is blurry for me in yep. both a good way and sometimes a maybe less good way, which is to yep. say, as a reporter... And I know we're not talking about my resume, but as a reporter, <laughs> I, I am sort of on call and I do work right. even on weekends and even on sort of weird hours. It's yep. also the case that I have a lot of flexibility in my life. And for example, because we're not back in the office yet, I've been on the road nonstop for weeks and weeks and weeks. Yeah. And so this is like week four of nonstop travel for me. Have not been home Wow. Weeks. So the last day off though, I have a real answer for you, which is that I was in Banff, Canada, on the 4th of July, and I was river rafting with my family. (gasps) And we were whitewater rafting with my wife 
and my six-year-old boy and my eight-year-old girl. And the oh eight-year-old girl sat in the very front of the raft as we went Hell down yeah. class three rapids. Hell yeah. She didn't have a paddle, but her job was to hold on and be the quote-unquote wave blocker. So she yes. ate every massive <laughs> wave that came in the raft. And she loved it. That's so fun. What a good reason to have kids. It's like, look, you sit in the front, block the waves. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Traveling for four weeks nonstop is a big effort. Let me ask you this. Are you good at packing? I'm such a good packer. Tell me what that means to you. It means that if I am packing just for myself, mm-hmm. even for a month-long trip, I'm yeah. only bringing a carry-on. If I'm going Whoa. on a... <laughs> week-long trip, I might not even bring a carry-on. I can get it down to my backpack. Are you serious? Yeah, I'm not like a Navy SEAL where I'm like not going to change my underwear. (laughs) I am a very efficient packer. I always have been. And I learned how to pack from my high school teacher. I went to this totally crazy high school where they taught us how to travel in the developing world. So every year in high school, I would like do a three-week road trip in Guatemala and Honduras and Belize, for example. And they're like, you get one bag and you have to carry everything yourself. What? He said, you have to be able to carry everything you're traveling with and open a door, which I thought was such a great practical way to think about how to pack as a great traveler. And so Yes, I am an excellent traveler. It is more complicated with kids, no doubt about it. I'm sure. I have so many questions because I am not good at packing. And the idea that I would have to carry all my things and open a door, I can't even hold a coffee usually when I'm carrying everything (laughs) that I have on a trip. I was traveling to San Francisco for the last two weeks, and I also had to do some filming while I was there and some recording, and so I had two checked bags. Wow. Were you carrying podcast gear, though? Yeah, I was was carrying camera equipment, which had its own little bag, and then I had a giant bag. There was no hope at me opening any doors. I just, I had to go through life like a queen with doors being opened for me left and right the entire time just to make it through. You're the pod queen, and and (laughs) full full disclosure, that doesn't count. If you're traveling for work, right? If you had two checked bags just for your outfits, we would be having a different conversation. If it was camera gear, you get a pass. Thank you for the pass. I honestly appreciate that, but I will say, as somebody who's also, have you lived in San Francisco or just spend time there? I have. You've lived there. Okay. The number of sweaters that you have to bring to travel to San Francisco does take up a ton of space. Not only that, the number of types of sweaters. I couldn't agree more. I also bought two more sweaters while I was there, which that one's on me. I did that to myself, but (laughs) I really did feel like that was necessary going back to the Bay. Okay. Full disclosure. One of the places I was in in my travels was Rome. And I, Mm -hmm. one of the ways that I'm an efficient packer, especially during the summer is like, I travel with a linen suit and the linen suit is very (gasps) versatile and it doesn't wrinkle, you know, it's great. So I get to Rome though, and I buy three more linen suits (laughs) and I had to Pack them so tightly in my yeah. one carry-on yeah. that that they wrinkled. Yes. I, I did the impossible, which I yeah. wrinkled a linen suit because I packed them too tightly. That's really tough stuff, but it's impressive that you persevered. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Why did your high school emphasize that type of travel? That is unusual. I went to this ridiculous high school for the... I, well, halfway through, I transferred myself in. I was in a very conventional high school in the okay. East, East Bay, Piedmont, in, in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. San Francisco Bay Area, and I wasn't happy there. And so halfway mm. through sophomore year, I transferred myself to this very unconventional, weird high school called okay. Maybeck High School, which is was run out of the attic of a church on Bancroft what? Avenue, two blocks from Telegraph Avenue in Berkeley. 
And there were, there were 16 kids oh my in my graduating class. That was it. Among the ways in which the school was weird, and you can get a sense there were many ways in which the okay. school was weird, was that they did spring programs, which is meant essentially we took March off. Teachers would take a group of kids to, as I said, Honduras and Belize. Wow. One year, Egypt, another year, Baja, California. It was like unstructured travel. They would basically teach us how to backpack with no itinerary. They believed that that was sort of a life skill that they could teach because they had weird teachers there who knew how to do this. At the time, were you aware that that was unusual or was that normal to you? No. I mean, we all knew we were like freaks at that school. (laughs) Do you think that that has contributed significantly to your ability to travel today? Unquestionably. Wow. That was where I learned to do it. And then I did, you know, cumulative, at least, you know, something, something probably approaching a full year of unstructured travel after that. In, in college and beyond. That's amazing. When you say unstructured travel, does that mean with like not having a super tight itinerary? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not even necessarily knowing where you're going to sleep that night, but, you know, trusting that you'll find it out, waking up in the morning, not knowing where you're going, what you're going to do that day, which I find, you know, among the most rewarding and liberating mm. ways to travel. Again, super hard to do it now with yeah. kids. Have done progressively less of I'm it sure. as I've gotten older. Yeah which I don't love, but I, I recently got a taste of it in these these past few weeks because I literally, I woke up in Spain two weeks yeah. ago. I guess it was probably two weeks ago today and I literally didn't know where I was going wow. for the weekend. And I was like, I had some people in Rome I could see, I had some people in Amsterdam I could see, and I was like, I just had choices. And that, that ability to sort of choose your own adventure is is rare but delightful. That sounds really incredible. I've never done something like that, but I can totally see how it would be very liberating. I think it would be healthy because I tend to revert to the opposite ways of feeling mm. fulfilled. I tend to revert to, well, if I plan it all, then it'll go as planned and that will be great. <laughs> but then life is like, that's hilarious, Alexis. <laughs> I would encourage you to do it. Just final thought, please do it and, and do, do it in a safe and like contained yes, way. Yes, yes, yes. So you're not going to like get like way out over the edge. I'm a very cautious little bunny. Don't worry about that. <laughs> I will not be putting myself <laughs> in any danger. Well, speaking of adventure, I do want to mention that if you can hear birds chirping in the background, it's because you're in a beautiful vista right now in California. I am. I'm in Bolinas, mm. uh, which is just north of San Francisco, near just north of Stinson Beach. Wow. And I'm at this beautiful compound that my father has rented for his 80th birthday weekend. So today is my dad's 80th birthday. Wow. And I'm here with my family and we're celebrating with I'm him. so happy for you. Happy birthday to your dad. You. What a milestone. Yeah. Happy birthday, Baba. That's great. Happy birthday, Baba. Well, speaking of family, is there anything that your family did growing up that at the time you thought was normal and then you later realized was a little strange? Or not what other families did? Yes, but now I'm going to start talking about my parents' resumes. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my mom was a museum director and my dad was the director, the manager of yeah. an orchestra. And so when I oh. grew up, I grew up in museums and in concert mm. halls. After school, I would either go to rehearsal of the orchestra yep. or I would go like work in a museum. As I've come to realize, I was just exposed to all this like art. And, mm. and classical music mm-hmm. growing up. And it took me a while to realize that that was a unique experience. Now, that's not mm-hmm. like a, a weird quirk of my family, mm-hmm. but it's one of the ways in which my childhood was sort of really differentiated. The other Absolutely. thing is that my mom would always have like a jar of Grey Poupon mustard that was eight years old in the fridge. 
That's the only other thing that comes to mind. <laughs> Specifically Grey Poupon. I feel like yeah. we had that too. I don't know if it was as, I mean, eight years is pretty impressive. Do you think that expiration dates need to be fully abided by or is it more of a suggestion? Definitely not. Definitely not. For, okay, certain, for certain organic compounds, maybe, but in yeah. general, definitely not. Okay. That's bold. That's brave. That's brave and bold. It can be, I feel concerned about expiration dates. Yeah. Again, for like meats and vegetables, probably, but yeah. especially if we're like into the realm of processed foods, these things Good are point. shelf stable. Shelf stable. For eons. Yeah. I mean, they're like all eat Grey Poupon in the apocalypse. Honestly, that would be an okay situation. Like, if we're in the apocalypse, but there's still Grey Poupon, like, I think we're doing okay. <laughs> you won. You won. We won the apocalypse. <laughs> You're the Man, guy in the Grey Poupon commercial. But. Perfect. And then someone's holding the door for me as I wheel all of my belongings. Mm -hmm. David, what is the tiniest hill that you're willing to die on? So something pretty inconsequential that you would just really go to bat for. Chapstick is a pseudo solution <gasps> to a non-problem. Full stop. Amazing. Chapstick Amazing is hell. a pseudo solution to a non-problem. Now, I don't think I invented that sentence. I don't think okay. I wrote that sentence, mm -hmm. but I, I believe I read it almost 20 odd years ago. And I think really? I even remember who I read it from and where I read it. But it was such a vivid truth that spoke so directly to something that I had already internalized that it became like my religion. This is like the first thing on my tablet of religious truths that was yes. engraved. Your that commandments, was the one. number one. Yes. <laughs> okay, let us unpack this incredible hill. So essentially what you're saying is that we don't need to use chapstick. Is that right? You do not need to use chapstick. Okay, so tell me why you think that way. Our bodies are miraculous <laughs> machines that adapt to the climate rapidly. When you use chapstick, you are actually preventing your lips, which are some of the most amazing organs in our bodies, mm -hmm. from doing the job of recalibrating to the humidity and the heat in your natural environment. Hmm. And you are prolonging the inevitable, which is perhaps, if you're changing climates rapidly, some disruption, maybe a little chapping, but by slathering on what for God's sake, it's probably a petroleum product right. all over your face. You're prolonging the inevitable. And now that I say it, you're like contributing to the climate crisis. Stop using mm. petroleum products on your face. Wow. Wow. Okay. There's so much to say here. So you don't use chapstick. Have you ever used chapstick? Never. Never in your life, do you think? Have I put it on once in a while, but yeah. only to maybe once a decade, only to be reminded how much I mm. lose this stuff. Okay. Especially Carmex. Why especially karmic? The smell. Oh, okay. Vile stuff. Okay, so if you get chapped lips. I don't get chapped lips. Your body adapts. You stay hydrated. Yes. You don't lick your lips incessantly to dry yep. them out. And your body takes care of itself. This is not a hill that I have considered before. However, I drink so much water now. Mm -hmm. And I also no longer really need chapstick. It is rare that I need chapstick. And I used to need chapstick. I've wondered if there was a correlation between those two things. I feel like my hill just got a little bigger because I made room for you on it. <laughs> Thank you for making room for me on your hill. I promise not to contribute to climate change by bringing chapstick to the hill. <laughs> this is interesting because this is one of those products where the more you use it, the more you need it. Definitely. It's a drug. Yeah. It's like a cartel, the chapstick cartel. <laughs> 
Yeah. I'm trying to think if there are any other things in life where that is true, where it's like, you just kind of have to let go of it and then you won't need it anymore. Actually, you know what is like that, I think, is sugar. If you stop eating a lot of sugar, I think you crave it less. Oh, I think that's true. I mean, I think we're now into the realm of like semi-addictive substances, which mm. are like, I would put Diet Coke and cigarettes in this conversation too. I, wait, 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 hang on. But, I would but, consider putting Diet Coke in, but if you're, are you trying to put cigarettes on the same level as Carmex right now? Because you know what? I might have to push back just slightly. No, no, I okay. do not think Carmex will give you lung cancer. Okay, there we go. There. All right. Yeah. Because I, I just think there are varying degrees of bad. But this is the slippery slope for me was like when you started talking smack about sugar and I was like, I love my sugar. <gasps> but David, it's the same thing. It's not the same yes, thing. It, oh, come sugar on. How is it not? so good. Putting chapstick on feels so good. Mm. Mm. Much okay, to consider. Okay. Mm-hmm. Much to consider. But only if you have been like abusing your body by not staying hydrated and licking your lips in the sun. Okay. Counterpoint. I think one of the reasons we crave sugar is if you aren't hydrated or otherwise filling yourself with non-sugary stuff. Like, I think it's just a hunger thing. You think eclairs only taste good because I'm not hydrated? You're wrong. Oh my God. That is not what I think. But that's an incredible sentence. An eclair is delicious at any point in time. I am just hypothesizing that there is a similar effect of the less you eat sugar, the less you need it. All right, let's do a thought experiment. My kids are six and eight and they're addicted to sugar. Okay. Because they're kids. They're not addicted to sugar, but like given the opportunity, like if you leave them alone in a room with a donut, they will eat the donut. Okay. (laughs) Here's the real question. If I had had the self-discipline as a parent Mm. to like deny them access to sugar for six and eight years respectively. Yes. And they had sugar for the first time at Mm. lunch today. How would they respond? I mean, they would lose their mind. Yeah, they would. They'd be like, "This is the best thing ever," and I want more. Hundred percent. Okay. Yes, but don't you think if you were if you never ever had chapstick and then you got to use chapstick for the first time, you'd be like, "This feels amazing. My lips are so smooth and hydrated." No, because my lips would already be smooth and hydrated. Because I hadn't been abusing them. <laughs> I was a philosophy major, Alexis. I'm not going to give any ground here. I, like, I went to school for like rhetorical arguments like I this. I finally feel like my undergraduate education is paying off in this moment. It really is. Honestly, I kind of wish all of my guests were philosophy majors because this is exactly the type of conversation that I want to spend my life having. And I'm not joking even slightly. I'm thrilled right now. <laughs> I also do need to caveat that I am very self-conscious about the fact that I don't eat a lot of sugar because I think it is a very unlikable quality. And I think that when I say it, it makes me deeply unlikable. So I just want to caveat that I get it, (laughs) that liking sugar and eating a lot of sugar is cool and fun and chill. (laughs) Go ahead. Can I ask you a a personal question? Can I push back a little? Of course. Are you secretly proud of the fact that you don't eat a lot of sugar? No, I'm not. I'm really not. No, no. no. It's good for my body. And that's why I do it. Like drinking a lot of water. To me, it's like that. Are you a Whole30 person? Mm-mm, not at all. Not big on extremes in that way. I just try to do things that seem easy enough. I try to do things that I think are good for my body that are not extreme so that they can be sustainable. Like things that I can do on a regular basis that are good for me. Mm, that's so healthy. That's like the way <laughs> that all the self-help books like try to get normal people to behave. Be like, yeah. just, just take it easy. 
Well, because then I'll keep doing it. If it's too hard, I won't keep doing it. If it's doable, I'll keep doing it. But I think what you find not too hard is actually profoundly difficult for most people. Mm. I think most people, I think, I think we, we've lost the ability to have willpower in this society. I feel like we've lost as Americans. I feel like we've like completely lost all self-discipline. Okay. Honestly, that definitely resonates with me. And it's something that I think about a lot in, especially because of how much I have to think about the internet and how I consume things on the internet and apply some discipline to that so that I don't lose my mind. <laughs> but for the same reason, I also try, I try to incorporate discipline into my life because I see how easy it is to slip because of where we're at right now. It's so easy to slip. And, but I feel like even getting to the point, this is like we're back to the chapstick metaphor, like even mm. getting to the point where you have the option not to slip and you're just not on you're not constantly tumbling down a muddy mountain of American culture uh, is hard. I feel like most people, Mm. I include myself in this conversation a lot of the times, the abyss of our society right now is so deep that between like, I mean, I was just reading about this last night in a piece in the New York Times where I work because I just wove it into the conversation. (laughs) We'll bleep the whole thing out. Resume drop. (laughs) The author was talking about how it's so hard not to like end the day doom scrolling and like binging on bad food because we live in this like insane world where we crave these dopamine hits and this instant gratification and like the distraction of intense stimuli Mm -hmm. because the, the world as it is is a really difficult place. It's true. I don't have all the answers, sadly. I thought this is what this podcast was about. We're going to make all the answers. I'm sorry to disappoint that I don't have the the answer <laughs> to how to solve American society. I know that's what everyone was expecting from me on the show today. And instead, they just got me talking about how I don't eat a lot of sugar because <laughs> it hurts my stomach. <laughs> Okay, I'm okay. very interested in your answer to this question. If you could choose one social nicety to do away with, what would it be? I love social niceties. Tell me more. I'm married. Mm-hmm. I have a beautiful wife. Mm-hmm. And I I enjoy doing, though she would probably argue that like I don't do it enough, but like all the little things, right? Like I love okay. holding a door open for her. This is the counterpoint to what we were just talking about, which is like the mm. world is so broken that social mm. niceties are wonderful. And my, yes. my, like, my wife writes a handwritten thank you note to everyone who does like almost anything nice for her. Love that. She makes our kids, right? Handwritten thank you notes. We say please and thank you all day long. Like we say, I love you. We've taught our kids to like be super respectful. I think social niceties are actually one of these secret things that makes the world function in a civil way. Mm. And that the loss of them is Hard for me to know if it's the the like the the leading indicator or or potentially some of the cause, but I think you could mm. argue like on on with all the vileness on social media, right? Like mm-hmm. people have like dissociated from one another, stop treating other people like human beings, and then you other them, and then right. all of a sudden there's like you're storming the Capitol. It's a slippery slope <laughs> from not saying bless you to storming the Capitol. <laughs> I think that's right. That, that I will die yeah, on that hill. That's a that's big hill, but I'll die on that. That's correct. 
I love social niceties. When I find mm -hmm. social niceties, new ones that I can like yeah. incorporate into my routine, I'm all for it. Is there one that you've incorporated recently? I don't know. Because this is not like a new thing. I'm not like discovering social niceties. Right. All my friends are going to be like, you are such like a crass. <laughs> like they're going to hear this and they're going to be like, you're just wrong. You're not, a, you're not a social niceties aficionado. I could do better at writing handwritten thank you notes. Okay. My wife leads the charts there. Yeah. I could definitely do better. I'm sporadic about my handwritten thank yous. I really am. I want to be someone that does it every single time. And I do it mm, kind of randomly, which feels like a failure. I am a big fan of social niceties by and large because I similarly, I think to you, feel a strong sense of obligation to keep, I don't want to say like to keep society chugging along. I do feel ownership over the tiny part that I can play to not make it worse right. and even potentially make it better. And so even in small interactions, I do try to say the bless you, hold the door, help someone with their suitcase, whatever. But sometimes there's some that feel fake to me that don't feel like they actually sure. come from a place of intention. For example. Okay. My mom lives in Florida. I'm from Connecticut, but she lives in Florida and she lives in a okay. suburban part of Florida. And when okay. we walk the dog, everyone says good morning to each other. And there is just, it's relentless. Every single person it's a good morning. <laughs> Even if you're in the middle of a conversation, yes, you, you stop. Have to stop that conversation yes. and say good morning. You stop. My favorite is when my mom and I are in kind of an argument <laughs> and we'll be like, well, I don't know why you had to say, well, I didn't say that. And they're like, good morning. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. But by the 30th good morning, I'm spent. I'm spent. My cold, cold New York heart is like, I've had enough. I can't say good morning to any more individuals. I'm with you. Okay. What do you think? Do you just have a limitless supply of radiant good morning sunshine that could carry you through a suburban Florida power walk like that? No, but I'm also questioning why you actually play the game, right? Like what happens if you don't say good morning? What happens if you just like keep looking at your mom mm. or keep looking straight mm -hmm. ahead and, and don't? Are you going to be like ostracized from that community? Ugh, no, but I could never not return a good morning. Mm, and they're going to initiate even if you don't. Yes. Though sometimes I'll just do a smile, but I had another very self-conscious thought yesterday, which was I'm worried that my default acknowledgement smile is not friendly enough. Ooh, mm -hmm. it's like... I, I'm, I hope I don't offend you here, but it's like RBF. Literally, I was like, just had this moment yesterday where, because you've seen it. You've seen someone smile and you're like, Ugh, that's not what that's supposed to be like. And that was the <laughs> thought I had yesterday as I was walking. I was like, is my acknowledgement smile actually kind of mean? And so anyway, that's what it's like living inside my brain. I will have to work on <laughs> my acknowledgement smile. I like this. Yes. I like this. So now, like, especially if you're, like, on a hiking trail yes. and you see someone smile at you weird, you're like, are they a serial killer? I don't want it to feel bad when I smile at people. So that's something that I need to make sure I keep on, on track. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've only met you a few times, but I've never had that experience. Okay, thank God. <laughs> okay, good. I'm going to have to start surveying people. <laughs> Send a follow-up survey after we meet. <laughs> Can I advocate for one quick social nicety? And Jeez. I don't know if this is actually a social nicety. Let's hear it. But this is one, I only thought about this. And I don't know if this is a social nicety. This may be in a different category and you can edit this out if it's, okay. if it's irrelevant. Let's hear it. Tip your hotel house cleaner. Generous. Mm. I leave a $20 bill in my room with a note that says thank you when I leave a hotel room. Can we talk about this? Here's my question. How do you just have cash on your person to do that? 
I never have cash on me. I have written stories for the New York Times where I'm a reporter about not having cash. <laughs> 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 I'm just doing this to troll you now. I love it. About the fact that I don't, I had like stopped using cash. There was a stretch, yeah. it was like two or three years ago where I literally had no, I didn't touch cash for like the first four months of the year. And I probably realized it like six weeks into the year. And mm -hmm. I was like, how long can I keep this going? And I wrote about it because it was like, oh, we're clearly into a new phase of the economy. Yes. After that story, I made it a point to always have small bills on me so I can okay. pay people. So I always have cash so I can give it away. It's really hard to have cash, I think. Where do you go to get your cash? An ATM machine or the bank? ATM. Mm. This is a tough one for me because I, of course, think that everyone should be paid fairly. And I do think that tipping is something that everyone should make sure like everyone is taking care of each other in this way. But the idea that I have cash on me at a frequent enough rate to reliably tip the housekeeper at hotel, I don't think that I do. I know that I don't. What do I do about that? You can't leave it like Ethereum on the desk. So. I would like to be able to Venmo tip at hotels. I think that's great. And hotels should make that a option. No doubt about it. Here's what I want. I want folks who work at hotels who are in the hospitality roles to have like a, a key card. Like, you know, at tech companies, you have a key mm -hmm. card to get into the building, right? I want mm -hmm. them to have like a key card that has a QR code on it mm -hmm. so that when somebody does something like, oh, you forgot toothpaste, they bring up toothpaste. And you can just say like, oh, can I see your QR code? Or like, oh, can I tip you using Venmo? Then they just whip out their QR code, which is right there on their hip. And then I can tip them immediately. That's what I want. And I want all hotels to adopt that. You don't even have to give me credit, hotels. You can just do it. Just do it so that everybody can get tipped and I don't have to have cash because I never have cash. And then we don't have to have that horrible moment where I'm like, oh my God, I don't have cash, but I do really need this toothpaste. What do I do? Six years from now, Alexis, you're going to be interviewing someone on this podcast and you're going to be like, so we're not going to talk about your resume, <laughs> but so-and-so is the founder of a new company that makes QR codes for hotels where all their employees... Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I know we're not here to talk about anything, but how did you found this business? They're like, well, I was listening to a podcast and now I'm a billionaire. Yes. I mean, honestly, that would bring me a ton of joy. And I would play this clip at the start of the show. Again, I don't even need credit. I mean, feel free to put me on the cap table, like no pressure, but I don't think that I need credit for this idea. I just want to be able to tip people more easily. Okay. We, David, we need to talk more about you. This is too much me. This is not enough you. Tell me this two-part question. Who would play you in a movie about your life? And should we make a biopic or should we focus in on a particularly exciting chapter? person I want to play me? Yes. Is Tom Cruise. Okay. The person who people have said I look like to, number one, at one point, you can't make this claim anymore, but at one point I got Ricky Martin a lot. Really? Wait, yes. I'm looking up Ricky Martin. Oh, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> All right, I can absolutely yeah. see that. And then the other, I think this is his name, it was Emil Hirsch, who like flamed out as an actor, but he Emil played, Hirsch. I think he was in Into the Wild. Not only was he in Into the Wild, he was also in Lords of Dogtown. Oh, yes. Into the Wild is a fantastic movie Great and film. book. Great book. Wow. Biopic or particular, particular episode. I'm always a fan of the particular episode unless said subject has like massive and enduring influence on the world, which yeah. is, is, you know, is not me. Well, and, we don't and know. I, uh, Story's not over. Wait till this pod drops and the chapstick revolution begins. Procter and Gamble stock price <laughs> plummets to the floor. Who's responsible? One man, David yes. Gellis. <laughs> That's, that's good. I'm not allowed to, I, but I can't trade on it. I can't trade on no, it. No, you can't. Allowed, I'm not allowed to you're too powerful. Stock. Exactly. Yeah. The time frame would be when I lived in India for a year and backpacked. 
right? Yes. And I had all sorts of like crazy things happen yeah. to me during that time. Basically, I, I spent my junior year of college in India with a backpack. Wow. I have one question for you about that. What changed most about you as a person from the day you landed to the day that you flew home? When I came home, my friends were like, you're not an asshole anymore. <gasps> oh my God. Really? Yeah. <laughs> How did that change? <laughs> and also, I thought you only you had like one before? question. <laughs> I know, but then you answered it. <laughs> I was too interested. Full disclosure. I don't think I was an asshole before sure. I left. I think the guy who said that was an asshole always. Yeah. But it was something changed. And mm. what changed was I practiced Buddhism nonstop for mm. six months and like meditated for, you know, cumulative thousands of hours while I was there. Wow. Wow. And you know what? If this was a work podcast, I would ask you a question about how that informed your book, but I won't, but I want to, but I won't, but know that I want to. Okay. We're focusing in on that particular chapter. Emil Hirsch is playing you. I think that's a great choice because Emil Hirsch in Into the Wild was also on a journey. There's a lot of him out in nature, a lot of him acting alone. And so he has experience in that role. Yeah. But what is obviously different about this story compared to Into the Wild is, of course, ending is very different. And so I think that would be a very fun role to see Emil Hirsch in, personally. And then Tom Cruise, I could also see him doing this because it would be a real departure from what he's known for. Feels like Top Gun was a goodbye from this type of action movie in some ways. And so maybe this is going to be something he pivots into. I'm ready for it. I'm also ready for it. That sounds great. Do you have any truly useless talents? I can remember the lyrics. I do remember. And I, I, it's not that I can. I have the lyrics to most of like the top 40 1990s hip hop hits. Really? Lodged in my brain. Okay. I'm not the only one, no. but that, that is, right? I'm like, I recognize that as like a relatively common useless talent, but yeah. it is, it takes up a lot of like the CPU in my head. Do you think like that? Do you think that our brains kind of have a finite amount of storage and a decent amount of yours is like salt and pepper lyrics? I mean, mine does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've okay. thought about that as well. Like the amount that I know about how to be successful in The Sims, for example, do you know how much other stuff I could fill my brain with instead of that? A lot more. It's devastating to consider. Is there a song that whenever you hear it takes you back in time? I'm going to keep going Top Gun here, but Playing Please. With the Boys by Kenny Loggins is yeah. I am on the beach with Val Kilmer and Tom Cruise playing volleyball <laughs> every time I hear that song. <laughs> okay. So taking you back to a moment in time that maybe didn't happen in reality, but happened in your mind, which is uh -huh. nice. Okay, uh -huh. good. That's great. <laughs> Also, side note, I would watch a movie about how they made Top Gun Maverick. That's how curious I am about how they made that movie. Yes, we could talk about Top Gun for a long time. I would listen to a whole pod about Top Gun and all of its cultural influence. It, Me too. It remains, it remains the, the movie I have seen the most times in my life. Really? Oh, wait, I have horrible, devastating news for you about me, mm. which is that I've never seen the first one. No, no. I know. Oh, God. I'm sorry. I know. I know that's bad. I know that's bad. I know. But I know. But here's why. Okay. Here's why. I saw the second one because I knew my dad would really enjoy it. And so I took him for Father's mm. Day. And Good. I did not have time Good. between that and the time when I decided to do that to watch the first one. Okay. Are you making a note mentally that our potential friendship is over? 
No, like, I don't know you well enough, but I had the thought, I was like, movie night, let's do it. Like, we <laughs> Wait, we should 100% do that, but only if afterwards Happily. we can get into some like really long esoteric nonsense conversation about something, because I think that sounds great. I've been thinking a lot about Top Gun lately and hmm. thinking about the new one a lot. And hmm. I'm stealing from a friend, and I'm going to give him full credit, but Wesley Please. Morris, who's who's a colleague of mine, I know we're not supposed to talk about work anymore, but he's a say, reporter. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's been talking, and we had conversations about nostalgia hmm. and the power of nostalgia. I'm repeating his thesis, which is, and I'm probably going to screw it up, but he hmm. believes that like so much of popular culture today, and especially popular film, has roots in nostalgia. And yes. it's like animated by nostalgia. And so I was thinking a lot about that as I watched the new Top Gun. And I was very aware of like the different types of nostalgia in mm. Top Gun Maverick and what it said about me and my relation to like film and my country, but also about like our societal narrative yeah. about who we are as a nation. And that was where like so much of the power and frankly, the disconnect with that new hmm. film was for me. Wow. Okay, honest, I would 100% watch the original Top Gun when you get back to New York because I okay. would love to hear Top your Gun thoughts. Top Gun Film Club. All right. Oh, wait, that would be amazing. I would love it. Okay, I'm going to follow up on that. We have a lake house up in the Hudson Valley. Amazing. We screen movies on the porch outside on the like a big screen and we'll do it there. I love that idea. I love Hudson. That's where I, I went there for my birthday this year. I did like a weekend away with five of my best friends. It was amazing. Fantastic. I know. Where did you go? We, well, it was January. And so it was freezing. I don't know if yeah. you were up there that weekend, like power no. lines are going down. It was so cold. And truly it was, it was one of the best weekends of my life, but not because we did anything. <laughs> it was because I had five people with me who I love so much and who know me so well that all the pressure was off. And so for like a three day weekend, all the pressure was off. It wasn't, let's go incredible places and do incredible things. It was Let's make some good food and drink some really nice wine and play Bananagrams because we want to. That's it. That's what it's all about. That's it what it's was all about. so special. That's what friendships and relationships are about. Yeah. And they surprised me with all these photos of all of us together, like, because they're friends from all different parts of my life. And so when I showed up, they had like all these photos that they had like curated of me with each of them and they hung them up all around the house. And oh my God, like I could not have asked for anything more. It was very special. David, we're going to take a super quick break and then we will be right back. This episode of Non-Technical is still brought to you by Bets Recruiting. Grab your popcorn and put your phones on silent because we're just getting started with our summer bets blockbuster. The return of bets recruiting. Two bets, two furious. Tagline, this time, all bets are on. If your professional life right now was a movie, what kind of character arc would we be working with? Are you struggling to find the one? And by that, I mean the perfect go-to-market hire. Do you need to take off your glasses and let your hair down in order for the world to see what your resume really has to offer? Or are you simply in search of adventure, curious about the career paths less traveled? Whatever your movie arc, Bets Recruiting is ready to be your best supporting actor. Or should I say, <laughs> your Bets supporting actor. I shouldn't, but I did. If you're hiring go-to-market talent or you are go-to-market talent, check out betsrecruiting.com slash non-technical. And we're back with David Gellis, 
author of the new book, The Man Who Broke Capitalism, and a climate reporter at the New York Times. David Gellis, we've arrived at a very exciting moment in this episode of Non-Technical. Are you ready? Yes. I don't know what it is, but I'm ready. Yes, there we go. That's what I'm talking about. That's that backpack for a week-long trip energy that I'm here for. (laughs) Okay, David, we've arrived at the lightning round. Also, it doesn't really go that fast because it's me doing the lightning round. But still, the intention is that I, I have more questions and they're shorter. Ready to get started? Let's do it. Okay. My first question for you is coffee or tea? Coffee. Coffee. How do you take it? Black. Me too. Do you drink coffee every day? Yes. Me too. Do you have a favorite cartoon character? Do comic books count? Sure. The Max. Who's the Max? He was a sort of alt comic book character made by Image Comics in the early 1990s. Hmm. And he was this grotesque beast who had this like really, really soft side. And there was Mm. one frame from one of the first, it was like Max number three, where he had this girlfriend, Max had these huge claws and Mm. he like couldn't take care of himself, but he was this like monster Mm. and a hero. And he had this like human girlfriend. She would clip his toenails. (gasps) And I was like, that's the most endearing thing. Oh my God. That's amazing. And I was like, that's true love. I'm the monster and I would need to find someone in life who's going to clip my toenails. (laughs) Oh my God. That's good. Wow. Oh my God. I have never heard of that. That's fantastic. Do you have a favorite board game? Scrabble and chess. (gasps) You play chess? I play a lot of chess. I also play a lot of chess. Let's play chess. Are you on chess.com? I am, of course. Oh, hell yeah. I'm scared now. Okay, we'll see. Um, maybe I'll share my username a couple more you months. You know you are. I'm not going to make you do it on the pod, but I'm immediate follow-up. Top of the list. Oh, my God. David, have you ever read a book twice? Yeah. Which book? Or pick one. I'm sure you've read like a thousand books twice. Yeah. Siddhartha, mm. uh, Midnight's Children. The list goes on. I want to read... The book I want to read again, because I keep thinking about it, is The Overstory by Richard Powers. Oh, really? What makes you want to read it again? It's one of the most beautiful and profound books I've ever read, and it changed the way I see the world and think about life. Hmm. If you could go back 10 years, what would you tell yourself? It keeps getting better. Ooh. I'm so blessed, Alexis. Like 10 years ago, things were very good. I was married to my wife. I'm still married to. Maybe that's a pat answer. I would say like, all right, here's the real answer. Cool. I liked the pat one, but I'll take a real one too. Carve out more time for adventures. Hmm. That's it. It's like the older I get. I'm like 42. I'm not particularly old. Mm-hmm. Every year when I have those signature like adventures, and I mean like physical adventures, like I wish, like if I look back on the past 10 years, the things I had wish I had done more of was like, I wish I'd climbed more mountains. Mm-hmm. I wish I had gone on more camping trips in the backcountry. Yeah. I wish I had like pushed myself a little harder when it comes to like my physical and mm. adventure limits. Yeah. Okay. That's great advice. Do you have a pump-up song? All of 90s hip-hop. <laughs> so many. What's the go-to when you're really tired or you're not feeling it and you have to get something done and so you put a song on? I don't have one. I have, I'm sorry, I'm like not giving you one answer because I don't have one song. I have like a thousand. I have a playlist. I have dozens of pump-me-up playlists. Really? Each of which has hundreds of songs on them. And it's all dependent on the moon. Okay. Do you title the playlists to fit the mood? Not so much. I used to okay. do that. I courted my wife with playlists. Oh my God. That's amazing. Back when I was still <laughs> burning CDs. The last four CDs I ever burned in my life were CDs I burned for her. That's beautiful. I mean, in today's world, you could make someone a Spotify playlist. It's not quite the same. I think it's similar. I did that once. Okay. There's something about the the, the physicality 
of the CD, right? That's and yet you true. were like, you were like, you had to hand write the tracks and like, <laughs> and like designed. I didn't, I'm not like, a, I wouldn't draw on mine, but like it was talismanic, something about That's it. true. I wonder how we could bring that back mm. again. Okay, let's roll it back. Get that hotel QR code company, repurpose our manufacturing process to also incorporate QR codes that can contain Spotify playlists. What do you think? I'm here for it. Fabulous. David, this is my last question for you, which I'm sad to say because this has been lovely, but I'm glad to know we have a movie night slash Scrabble night slash chess night slash pontification night on the calendar. What would you title your memoir? I'll stay home. Ooh, I love that. Have you thought about that a lot? I have. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> because yeah. he's what? <laughs> a reporter for the New York Times. <laughs> oh my gosh, David Gallas, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me and getting to talk about all the things that are the most fun to talk about because we don't talk about them enough. I couldn't agree more. Where can people find more about you and your books on the internet? I have a website, which is called davidgellis.com, and you can wow. read my stuff on the New York Times, and I'm easy to find on social and all the places. Amazing. And you can find me at Yay Alexis Gay on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, or at non-technicalpod on Twitter. One more time, David. Thank you so much for joining me. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Send me your chess.com username. We'll see. Right. Okay. Have a great day. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> 